Well, good morning, good morning. And as Pastor Paul said, he and his wife Susan are enjoying this last bit of summer and they are driving back as we speak. And so he asked me to come and to share with you guys this morning. For those of you who may be visiting with us and may not be familiar with who I am, my name is Stacy McLean. My husband Chris and I serve as an elder couple here at Crosstown, and I also get the privilege of being on the teaching team and doing women's ministry, so I'm thrilled to be with you guys today. But having said that, I also have been dreading today for the last like 80 plus days. Anybody want to guess why I'm dreading it? Not because I was speaking, actually, because it's the end of summer. Today officially ends summer, and I Oh, I'm so dreading it. I have a middle school student and a high school student. So if you are the mom of a preschool or elementary kid, you're probably going, school is back in, school is back in. When your kids get to middle school and high school, you go, no, please, no. Because the reality is my kids are pretty independent. They're great kids. And they sleep in. You guys, they don't get up before 9 in the morning. Starting tomorrow, 6 35 I have to have my daughter at the bus stop what I'm, I'm just dreading it and so for those of you who don't have children at all I just want to warn you if you drive and you're driving to work in the morning it's going to take you an extra hour to get to work you can thank me for that in the morning when you're sitting in traffic I'm warning you traffic for the next two weeks is going to be horrendous but as summer is coming to an end, so is this series that we've been in this summer, looking at our road trip, our road trip of faith. So as we've been going through this series, what have we learned about our faith journey? And there are a couple of things I want to just remind us that we've learned over the last several weeks. And so one of them is that we've learned that our journey, though it's different, is important to God. Each one of us has a different faith journey. And no matter what our faith journey is, it matters. It matters to him. He cares about your faith journey. We've also learned that it's important for us to value and appreciate other people's faith journey. This was big for me because I tend to like think everyone should be just like me. I don't know if that's just me, but I feel like that's the way I do things. That's the way you should do things. And that's actually wrong. It's not true. And so through this series, I have been exposed to different people throughout Scripture who have had a different faith journey. And I've learned how to value and appreciate their faith journey and the differences in their faith journey. And honestly, this summer, I've begun to really look to people who have a different journey than myself and say, tell me more about it. I want to know how your faith journey is playing out in your life because I have a lot to learn from different people and their faith journey. And then most recently, we've been learning that our faith journey has transitions, that we all go through different phases, and sometimes we get stuck. And this one's really hard for us because I think, um, especially for me, I grew up in the South in the Bible Belt, and I'm very thankful for my upbringing and the way I was raised. But I think we think we pray this prayer, we ask God, you know, to come into our hearts, and then everything's going to be great. And that's actually not the truth. There are seasons in all of our journeys. There are moments when we are on highs with God and we feel him and we are connected to him. And then there are other moments where we feel like we are walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And then there are times when our faith journey just gets stuck, where we feel like we can't get out of that low. And that's really what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. What do you do when your faith journey gets stuck? So last week, Pastor Paul shared to, 
with us the story of, of a guy who experienced disappointment. Disappointment is one of those things that can really put a hindrance on our faith journey. It can really stop our road trip with God because I thought I was supposed to be this. I thought my life was going to look like this. And then disappointment settles in. And for some of us, we are living with disappointment. And last week, we learned, just like you're not designed to live in an airport, you're not designed to live in disappointment. And through looking at the life of John the Baptist and the disappointment he hit, and then how he put his hope in Christ, we were able to understand how we can get moved past our disappointment and how we can flip, fix that flat tire and get back on the road with God in our journey. If you weren't here last week and you're struggling with disappointment, please listen to the podcast. It will help change your perspective. It will help you fix that flat tire. Today, we're going to be looking at a guy who has some car trouble due to compromise. Compromise. It's one of those words, you know, when you talk about compromise, that kind of makes us feel a little uncomfortable, or we think, I'm never going to have to deal with compromise. Nope, I'm just not going to do it. But the truth is, when we look at the word compromise and what the word compromise actually means, it simply means to accept standards that are lower than desirable or making concessions. So to compromise means I'm going to accept a standard that's lower than the desirable standard or I'm going to yield, give in, concede on a few things. So when we think about compromise in that way, where have we compromised? And when we think about compromise, really it affects our vision. As we're going to see in the story today, uh, the guy we're going to be studying, it literally, his compromise literally cost him his vision. So if you're here this morning and you feel like you've lost your vision a little bit, this might be an answer for you. This might just be something that helps restore your vision. But when we think about compromise and we think about accepting a standard that's less than desirable or kind of giving in, I think each one of us has areas of compromise in our life. I think all of us make compromises in our life. See, before I started studying this, I always thought of compromise as a big moral failure. And that is a, that, that Compromise can lead to a moral failure. But I think for most of us in our day-in, day-out lives, we know how to avoid those big things. It's in the everyday, in the daily decisions where we make some compromise, where we settle for less than God's desirable standard for our life, where we give in. And so, you know, maybe for you, you've decided you're going to start eating right and you're going to eat healthier and you're trying to do this whole 30 or you're trying to go vegan or you're trying to go gluten-free or less fats or whatever it is and maybe you've made some compromises because you just get hungry I mean am I the only one who ends up with ketchup dripping off the side of my face because I'm shoving french fries in my face at the drive-thru because I didn't plan well and I got hungry and so now I'm at McDonald's eating french fries not that there's anything wrong with that. It's fine to eat french fries from McDonald's. But I want to eat healthier. I want to make better choices in my food habits. But sometimes I make less than desirable choices. You know what I'm saying? I think we all do it, whether it's in what we eat or whether it's in what we watch, what we see, in the way that we interact with other people. No matter what it is for us, I think every single one of us can think about times or decisions that we've made that have caused us to enter into compromise. 
But what we need to know today is that no matter the compromise, no matter what kind of compromise we've made, if it's small, little compromises day after day, or if it's a big compromise we've found ourselves in, God wants you to know his restoration starts today. He is here to meet us today in the middle of our compromise, in the middle of where we are, and he wants to meet us today, and he wants to remind us that his restoration starts today. See, as we've been learning, our faith journey has topography. Your faith journey has topography. It has different landscape in it. There's mountains and hills and valleys. Wherever your topography finds you today, wherever you are coming from, whatever your topography looks like, God wants you to know it is not an accident that you are here this morning, or it's not an accident that you're listening to this podcast. He is here to meet you in this moment, wherever you are. He sees the topography. He sees the landscape of your life. He knows the decisions you've made. He understands where you're coming from, and he wants you to know his grace abounds. He loves you, and he is for you. So as we start looking at this story, I want you to keep that in mind. I want you to remember it is not an accident that you're here. He has a plan and a purpose, and his restoration begins today. So we're going to be in Judges chapter 16. If you've got your Bibles, feel free to turn there. Uh, if not, you can follow along on the screen. The verses will be up. Judges is kind of in the Old Testament, right after Joshua, early in the Bible. Judges is one of those books that just talks about the people of God. And at this time, there, were, there was no king in Israel, but there were judges. They were the people that God chose to speak through, to communicate his truth, his precepts, his principles, and his word, and to protect the people of Israel. So that's where our story takes place. It's going to be about this guy that there have been movies made about him. There have been books written about him. He is like the big hero. I mean, literally the big hero. He is the kind of the archetypal hero, strongest man ever. You've probably heard of him. His name is Samson. And there are all kinds of books that have been written based on this story. They may change the character names. They may change a few of the details. But this story is real. Samson was a real man that really existed and really lived. And we're going to look at some things that Samson went through in his life. And we're going to look at some compromises that Samson made. And we're going to see that we're not really that different from Samson. But when I first start telling you about Samson, you're going to think, that's weird. Because it is weird. Samson was set apart from birth to take a Nazarite vow. He was called to be a Nazarite from birth. And when I started reading that, I was like, that's weird. I don't know any Nazarites today. I don't know anyone taking a Nazarite vow. Basically, it's just this phrase that meant set apart, different for the service of God. So Samson was called to be set apart to serve God. And the truth is, every single one of us has been called to be set apart to serve God. Every single person in here has been called by God to be set apart for his service. It is up to us whether or not we respond to the call of God. He is calling each one of us to be set apart, to serve him. And then we get to respond to that. So basically, the Nazarite vow 
men and women could take this vow to show that they were going to be used by God. And they had some physical things and some things that they would do to demonstrate that. So basically, they stayed away from dead people because that was considered unclean. They never cut their hair, and they didn't drink wine or anything from the vine, no grapes or anything like that. And I was like, okay. Again, that's a little weird for me. How does that relate to me today? Are you asking me to avoid those three things? And I think, again, it's more than a list of do's and don'ts. God wants our heart. He wants the meditation of our heart to be in line with him. And so as I began asking him, what does that mean for us today? He led me to the words of Jesus in John 17. So Jesus in the New Testament comes and he tells everyone, all about the true God, that he has come, that he's the savior of the world. Jesus has come to the end of his life. And in John chapter 17, he's done his ministry. He's performed his miracles. He's proclaimed God's truth. And he's now at the time where he's about to give his life on the cross. And he begins praying to his father in heaven about the people that he's interacted with. And I want to pick up in John 17. Listen as I read these verses of how we can be set apart today. What Jesus is calling us into today. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in the truth. See, Jesus is telling them, that he's telling God, they are not of the world, just like I'm not of the world, God sanctify them, set them apart in your truth. Your word is truth, God, set them apart. When you read that, there's some churchy language in that, the word sanctify and consecrate. Those are kind of churchy words that sometimes lose their meaning. When I did some research on it, I realized the word sanctify is the same thing as the word Nazarite. It means to be set apart for the service of God. We are invited to be set apart for the service of God. Of God. So today we are called to be sanctified by God's truth, to be set apart, to look different. For Samson, he physically looked different. His hair was never cut his whole life because he took that vow for life and his hair just kept growing and growing. So he looked different. We are still called to look different today. And I don't mean necessarily physically that we're all supposed to have long hair and wear long dresses and look different. But our actions, our interactions, our attitudes, our thoughts, we're called to look different. We're called to stand out because we're not of this world. See, I was reading this quote by A.W. Tozer last week as I was studying. And he said, if you go to church on Sunday... No one thinks anything of it. But if you worship God seven days a week, people think you're weird. Isn't that true? It's kind of common to go to church on Sunday, especially in the South. It's just what you do. I mean, it's what all good, upstanding citizens do. We go to church on Sunday. But you begin worshiping God seven days a week in front of other people, and they're going to call you weird. They're going to think you're different. And that's okay. I had to begin asking myself, when is the last time I was a little bit worried about people thinking I was weird. And not weird because I am weird, like, personality-wise, but weird for God, set apart for God. 
And um, a couple of weeks ago, we went, my husband and I went out to dinner with our neighbors. We're just getting to know them. We don't know them super well. Um, and we went out to dinner. We're at this really nice restaurant, and our food gets put before us. And this couple is probably 15 years older than us. So to me, that's a little intimidating, but I want to learn from them. But, you know, my husband steps out into this moment of kind of like leading, and he says, hey, do you guys mind if we bless the food before we eat? I'm just going to tell you, I was so embarrassed. Isn't that terrible that I was? But I was like, now they're going to think we're weird. We're like at a restaurant with people, and there's a lot of stuff going on, and you want to pray. Okay. But he did, and it really wasn't that big of a deal. They didn't look at us like we had two heads. It was kind of like, okay, yeah, you want to bless the food? Go ahead, bless the food. That's a simple thing. But my husband wasn't willing to make a compromise, even in the little things in that moment. He was willing to risk looking different and being weird and stepping out so that he could show he's not of this world. And there are little things every day that we can do that cause us to look different than the world around us. And so just think about it. Where in your life are you being called to step out of your comfort zone? We are not going to grow in our relationship with Christ until we step outside of our comfort zone. Where is God calling you to step out? Is it in your workplace? Are you the one person who you know is a believer, who is a follower of Christ and nobody else in your office is, and you really want to play some praise and worship music in your cubicle, but you think that the person next to you is going to think that's weird? Maybe God's calling you into that. Maybe God's calling you to look different. We're not supposed to look like everybody else. Samson had been set apart from birth, but he began to make compromises. If you read the whole story of Samson's life, you'll see he started out making some small compromises, and ultimately he made a compromise that cost him his sight. So wherever you are today, where are you being tempted to make compromises? Are you being tempted to make compromises in your finances, in your relationships, in your business interactions? What about this, in your conversations? Are you tempted to make compromise in conversations? This is huge for me. And I don't mean things that are wrong, not gossiping. You know, just like maybe you say something that's true and right and not really wrong, but you say it with a tone to someone, or you're talking about someone instead of talking to someone about a problem. That's a big area where I think often we will make a compromise, and eventually that compromise is going to have a cost. Or maybe it's in entertainment, things that you watch on TV. This is a big one in our house too. You know, um, back in the fall, there was this Netflix show that my husband and I watched, and the second season was coming out, and we were all geared to watch it. I have a teenager who wanted to watch it. It was not appropriate for her, in my opinion. And I was like, no. And then the Lord started convicting my heart, and he said, you want her to stand out and look different? Because all her friends have watched it, and all your friends have watched it too, Stacy. But do you really want to watch the second season? Is this really going to bring about the best in your life? No, I couldn't watch it. I have still have no idea how the second season of this show turned out. And you know, honestly, six months, the first like four weeks when it came out and everyone was talking about it, I was dying to know. Six months later, nobody's talking about it and it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. But we have to be willing 
to surrender all areas and not make compromises, not settle, not give in, just because it's what everybody else is doing. And again, I'm not giving you a list of rules, but just because everybody else's second grader has a cell phone doesn't mean that it's okay and you should give your second grader a cell phone. If your second grader has a cell phone, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not picking on you. I'm just saying, think about those things in our life that just because everybody else is doing it doesn't mean we have to do it as well. See, Samson was enticed to make this compromise. He was enticed by a woman. What entices you to compromise? Because you want to fit in? Because you want to look like everybody else? Maybe you want to be accepted? You want to be loved? Whatever it is, think about what entices you to compromise. For Samson, it was a woman. Her name was Delilah. And you are probably familiar with the story if you grew up in church at all. We do this story a lot in children's church, and honestly, I don't know why. It is one of the toughest stories in all of Scripture, despite Pastor Paul telling me, oh, that's an easy one. No, it's not. Y'all, this was hard. This is a tough story when you really begin looking at it. But you're probably familiar with Delilah and Samson. Delilah was this woman that Samson was attracted to. He fell in love with her. And Delilah was partnering with the Philistines. They were a group of people who opposed God's people, the Israelites. The Philistines wanted to do things their way. They didn't want to surrender. They didn't want to give in. They wanted to do what they wanted to do in the way they wanted to do it. So they kind of taunted the Israelites because the Israelites were different than everybody else. Just like today, we're called to be different. And so the Philistines basically came to Delilah and they said, look, we're going to give you $15 million if you will tell us what the secret is to Samson's strength so that we can defeat him and we can arrest him. So Delilah decides she is going to get that secret out of Samson no matter what. And so she keeps asking. And in the beginning, he just kind of toys around with her and he lies to her. And he's like, see, yeah, that's it. And then it wasn't over and over again. We're going to pick up the story in Judges 16, starting in verse 15. And she said to him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times and you have not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. Anybody been pressed day after day? Anybody in here feeling like your soul is vexed to death because the world is pushing on you to compromise. The world is pushing on you to look like them. The world is calling you to do it. Everywhere we turn in advertisement, in music, in social media, we have a constant push to look like everybody else. And we, some of us are feeling vexed to death. And he told her all his heart and he said to her, a razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. See, Samson was enticed by his love of a woman, and he compromised by sharing all of his heart. She pressed on him day after day. Where are you being enticed? Where are you being pressed? Are you right in the middle of that? Have you just made a compromise and you're thinking, man, there's no hope for me? Or you're in the middle of a situation where you're being pressed day after day and your heart is being vexed? I want to offer you hope today. There is hope 
we can sanctify ourselves in God's truth. His word is true. His word is the very bread of life for us. And if you are in that situation today, if you are in a situation where you are about to step into a compromise, big or small or anywhere in the middle, I want to encourage you to listen what the Apostle Paul tells us to do. How do we do this? How do we sanctify ourselves? How do we set ourselves apart so we don't teeter on that line of, ah, it's okay, it's just a little bit. We're just going to move the line a little bit. And before we know it, the line's way over here. What do we do? Listen to what the Apostle Paul tells us in Colossians. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. I want to stop there just for a second. Because I will tell you from my own personal experience, when I have entered into compromise, the farthest thing that I feel is holy and beloved. So to hear, put on then, is God's chosen people holy and beloved? It's hard for me to swallow that pill of feeling holy and beloved. I don't feel holy and beloved when I have entered into compromise. When I've made a compromise, I don't feel that. Who feels good about cheating on their diet? We don't. It's hard for us, but God's truth is real whether I believe it or not. Romans says, let everybody else be a liar and God be true. You are holy and beloved. He is calling you to be set apart. So that is truth. So start with that. If you are struggling, start by saying, I don't even understand it and I don't see it because I've lost my vision. But your word says, I am holy and beloved. I've been chosen by you. Maybe that's where he's calling you to start today. You are loved by God. Every single one of you who is hearing my voice today needs to know you are loved. You are chosen. You've been called out. The Apostle Paul goes on to tell us, from that we are to put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. See, we've been called to set apart, to be set apart, and to look different. And then we're called to put on compassionate hearts. See, it's easy for us to have compassion for a child who has cancer. Every single one of us in this room has compassion for that child. We don't want to see that. But do we have compassion for the father who abandoned us? Do we have compassion for the friend who betrayed us? It literally translates, compassionate hearts literally translate compassion of the bowels. I know, it's kind of gross, isn't it? That's why they cleaned it up a little bit in the ESV version and called it a compassionate heart. But the real translation, have compassion from your bowels, where it stinks, when it's hard, when it's difficult to forgive. If you have said, I am a follower of Christ, you don't get the option not to forgive. I don't get the option not to forgive. There are some people I don't want to forgive, but I have to forgive. Because God's word says it. And I'll tell you, one of the biggest obstacles in your relationship with God is unforgiveness. It's one of the biggest obstacles I face in my relationship is unforgiveness. I'm not saying that you have to enter back into relationship, especially if it was a relationship that was harmful or dangerous for you. I'm not saying that at all. But you do have to forgive because God has forgiven us. And it's in those times when it's difficult 
When we are able to forgive in those times when the world says, you shouldn't forgive him. He betrayed you. You shouldn't forgive him. No, that's what the world says. But God says, I have to look different and I have to forgive even when it stinks, even when it's difficult, even when it's challenging. So if you're there in that moment about to make a compromise, remember, he's calling you. He's telling you, you are beloved. You are holy. You are set apart. And out of that, out of that strength of knowing who he said you are, he will give you all that you need to put on a compassionate heart to bind yourself in humility and kindness and forgiveness with others. Samson compromised by sharing his whole heart. Let's continue the story and see what happens to Samson. I told you it gets difficult. This part of the story is not easy to hear. And some of us, this is going to be off-putting when I read this to you. I wish I had something else I could read to you, but this is what Scripture says. Let's read it and we'll talk about it. Judges 16, continuing in verse 18. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he's told me all his heart. And then the lords of the Philistine came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees, and she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep, and he said, I'll go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord left him. Now, I'm going to stop right there for a second. That verse is hard to read. He didn't know the Lord had left him. Some of us feel that way. Some of us feel like the Lord has left us because of compromise that we've made in our life. I want you to hear this. He will never leave you. He actually didn't leave Samson in that moment. The power of God left Samson in that moment. Some of us feel a distance from God because we're distracted with compromise. And distraction equals distance every time. And we feel that. But we'll see later. God's right there in this moment. The Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground at the mill in prison, but the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Samson's compromise cost him his strength. It cost him that power that God had given him. And he didn't realize it. I think some of us are in that moment that we think that our decisions, those small ones especially, those little decisions we make, we think it's not really going to affect much. It's not really going to cost us anything. I mean, I want to get ahead at work. I want to get that next level in my job. And so I may have to go to dinner with that guy who's inviting me to dinner at work because it's a work meeting and that's just what you got to do. Maybe, but maybe not too. Maybe those small steps... And not that there's anything wrong with that, but maybe that small step isn't right for you. You know those areas in your life where you're enticed to compromise. Maybe for you it's that extra drink at dinner. Maybe you shouldn't have that second glass of wine. Maybe you shouldn't have that first glass of wine. I don't know. Just because the Apostle Paul says everything is permissible, not everything's profitable. Is that going to bring about the best? Or is that going to lead you into compromise that's going to cost you your strength? See, it cost Samson his strength. But so many of us are like Samson in the fact that we get up and try to shake ourselves free in our own strength. 
See, we make a little compromise here. We move the line a little bit here. We kind of, you know, doesn't everybody lie on their taxes a little bit? Doesn't everybody do that a little bit? Isn't it okay? And before we know it, it's cost us. It cost Samson his strength, but he, hadn't, he didn't realize it yet. And I think that's where some of us end up. We get to a point where we just don't realize it, and we try to do it in our own strength. We don't realize that we've lost vision. Where have you lost vision? In your marriage? In your family? Or maybe for you, you've lost vision in your personal relationship with God. Maybe you just have lost that connection with Him, that vision to see. Maybe you're trying to do it in your own strength. Maybe you're trying to earn the approval of God, the love of God. And I'm here to tell you today, he's never going to love you any more than he loves you right now because he's never loved you any less. Because God doesn't love you for what you do. He loves you for who you are. He made you. He created you. He has a plan and a purpose for you. And he loves you. But so many of us are trying to be better. Lord, I promise if you get me out of this situation, I'll never do it again. Lord, I promise if you just come through for me right now, I'm never going to do it again. I used to pray those prayers all the time. I quit praying those prayers because I kept doing it. And then I realized God's grace, God's grace caught me every time. If you're in that situation and you're feeling like you've lost vision, whether it's in your marriage, whether it's in your personal relationship with God, what, wherever it is, maybe it's in a ministry that God's calling you into and you just have lost vision, I want you to hear this next verse. If you find yourself where you feel like your eyes have been gouged out and you can't see, I want you to hear that the grace of God has caught you just like it caught Samson. The verse I read... We just read it, but you may have skipped over it because it's pretty obscure and may just kind of go through when you're reading the whole story and not even notice it. Verse 22 says, But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. See, the grace of God is like a five o'clock shadow. It's coming regardless of what you do. God's grace is never ending, and he is pouring it out constantly. That five o'clock shadow, guys will shave in the morning, and by that afternoon, there's a little bit of stubble. His hair began to grow back. God's grace is like that five o'clock shadow. It's coming, and he's caught you in that grace, whether you are aware of it or not. His grace is real, and his grace is here for us today. See, when Samson suffered this, then they tied him to this grind and made him mill like a donkey. Basically, they made him like a donkey where he's just down there doing that. That's what prisoners did at that time. It was humiliating, gouging out his eyes. Everything was done to humil humiliate Samson because Samson had been set apart from birth. They had seen him do crazy, strong things that no one else could do, and they didn't understand it, and it made them uncomfortable. For some of us, that happens to us. We are like brand new Christians and we get on fire for God and we're so excited and we change everything. And then our friends are like, that's weird. You're making me uncomfortable. And you know what the world is waiting to do? And what your friends are waiting to do when you make them uncomfortable? They're waiting for you to fail. They're waiting for you to compromise so that they won't feel so uncomfortable anymore. The Philistines were mocking him. They threw a big party to their God to celebrate that they had captured Samson, the strongest man ever. They were able to capture Samson. And so they had a big party and they were mocking him. 
The world wants to mock us. If you have stepped out in your faith and you have said, I am a follower of Christ, I want to look different, I can promise you everyone around you who has not made that declaration is just waiting for you to make a mistake because you make them uncomfortable. But sometimes we're supposed to do that. Remember the last series we did, Arise and Shine? We're supposed to arise and shine for the glory of the Lord has risen upon us. We're supposed to be his light. Light stands out in darkness. We're called to stand out. As the Philistines are mocking Samson, he's standing there and he is feeling beaten down. But what he remembered and what we need to remember is that as the enemy is out gloating over us because we've made a compromise, compromise does not equal condemnation. Let me say that again. Compromise does not equal condemnation. For those of us in Christ, there is no condemnation. That's what the truth of his word tells me. Some of us sit under the heaviness of condemnation because of a compromise we've made and we feel like we'll never get out from underneath it. But you need to hear compromise does not equal condemnation. He has not condemned you. Remember the woman caught in adultery? Jesus said, have any condemned you? Neither have I. Go and sin no more. Maybe you came in this morning and you have spent the last week doing things that you know God's called you not to do. And you walked in with a feeling of condemnation. This morning he's saying, I have not condemned you, but go and sin no more. But I'm not heaping condemnation on you. And Samson began to realize this. As they're there and they're throwing this party, then they said, hey, bring Samson out. Make him entertain us. Make him entertain us. So they're throwing this party at his expense because of the compromise he made. Any of us feel that way? And as they are telling him, hey, Samson, entertain us, Samson remembered the grace of God. The very last words that we have recorded of Samson in Scripture say, Judges 16, 28, Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, Please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. In that moment, when he was being humiliated, mocked, and made fun of, he understood there was no condemnation for him and that he was still chosen, holy, and beloved of God. And he put his eyes back on God and he called out and he said, God, allow your strength to return to me. He understood where his strength came from. See, everybody thought his strength came from his hair. And symbolically, that's where it came from. But we understand that the strength wasn't in the hair. It was a supernatural empowerment of God. And that's so true. That's true of me today. I understand that me standing up here sharing with you about the story of Samson, anything I've said that pricks your heart, it is not from me. It is a supernatural empowerment of God to use me for his glory, for his kingdom. Last night, as I was a little bit nervous about it, I was talking to a friend, and I was like, you know, I, I always get nervous if I have to speak. I mean, it's God's word, and I want to do it rightly, and I, I want to honor God in all of that. And so there's trepidation that I have in it. But God has put me in relationship and in community with other people who know him and love him. And so last night, I had a friend. My house is here, and her house is kind of positioned right over here. So she, can, she has a clear view of my backyard and my house. We live right on the bend of a river. And she texted me after I told her about, you know, feeling a little nervous about sharing today. And she texted me this picture. I'm not sure if we have it or not. Do we have 
So this is the picture that she texted me. And if you see right over here where these trees are, where the rainbow starts, that's my house. There was a full rainbow from the beginning of my house all the way across the river. She texted me and she said, remember, you're covered by his promises. I didn't know that. I was in my house. I had no idea there was a full rainbow that extended from my house all the way across the river. But my friend who was positioned in my life and in relationship and community with me saw it and reminded me, you sit under his promise and he is faithful. So for you today, remember, you sit under his promises. He is faithful. He is able. Are you willing? Are you willing? So what do we take away from this today? Where do we go from this today? As we've studied Samson's journey, it's not an easy story. It's really not. I wish I had an easier story to share with you. But it is a story of hope. It is a story of restoration amongst compromise. He says, how, how can you protect yourself from compromise? Keep your eyes on Jesus. When you're tempted, when you're vexed, when you're pressed day after day, Put your eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith, and who for the joy set before him endured the shame of the cross so we don't have to sit under that condemnation anymore. What do you do if you find yourself without vision due to compromise? What if you have already made that compromise and you have lost your vision? Call out to God. Samson had had his eyes gouged out. Call out to God to strengthen you so that his vision for your life will be restored. We've come to this moment that we call expressions. And this is simply a time for us. It's a call to action to respond to what God has been doing. God has been speaking all morning through his people and interactions with his people, through worship, through his word. And he is inviting you in. Are you going to respond? This is a moment of action and declaration. How are you going to respond? So maybe for you today, this is an opportunity for you during this last song and during this moment of expression where you can come to the cross. And that thing that's been pressing in on you day after day, that thing that is vexing you in your heart, nail it to the cross. Jesus has already carried it. He's already done it. Maybe for you today, you need to declare to yourself that you are holy, beloved, and set apart, that you are His. We invite you to come and partake of communion, the body and blood of Christ that was shed for the forgiveness of sins. And don't do that lightly. Scripture warns about that. Do that so that you can declare that he is king, he is Lord, and he has called you holy so you're not allowed to call yourself anything else. Or maybe for you, you want to meet with our pastors and have them pray with you in the back. These aren't perfect people who are perfectly living out the will of God. These are gracefully broken men and women who love Jesus, who are keeping their eyes on Jesus, and they want to help restore your vision through the power of the Holy Spirit. Or maybe for you this morning, it's an opportunity for you to sit right where you are or stand right where you are and for you to praise God for all that he's doing, to recognize that your strength comes from him and him alone. Wherever you are today, don't let this moment pass without responding. Do not let the world tell you that you are condemned. Do not let the world stop you from responding to the call of God. He is calling every single one of us to step out, 
to be set apart. And no, we're not going to do it perfectly. And yes, we're going to make compromise. But just like that five o'clock shadow, his grace will come every single moment, every single hour. As we move into this moment, I want to pray these words that the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians. I think it's so fitting for today, for what we've learned and what we studied in God's Word. I just want to pray this over you, especially if you are here today and you have lost your vision, you've lost your excitement, your steam, and your purpose in moving forward with God. Let me pray these words over all of us. Father, we receive your word today. We receive your truth today. So God, we thank you for your, for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that you are the father of glory and that you give us the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in all knowledge of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you and ask that the eyes of our heart will be enlightened so that we may know what is that hope to which you have called us, that we may know what are the riches of your glorious inheritance, Father. What are those things that you have in store for us, your saints? Father, we are asking that you show us what is the immeasurable greatness of the power that you have towards us who believe and all that you work according to your great might. Father, through the power of your Holy Spirit, give us eyes to see the vision that you have for us. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.